Hey, everybody. Hope you're doing okay. Sheltering in place. Hope you haven't, uh, you know, gone nuts, gotten sick of yourself, eaten too much, stopped working out, started hating your partner. <laughs> uh, I hope your car still starts. I hope you uh, are listening to a lot of music. I hope you're, you're eating okay. I hope you are, you know, just staying calm and uh, waiting for this to all be over and uh, planning your re-entry into the world with a triumphant glow because it, it will be it will be exactly that, won't it? It'll feel good. Uh, not the way to spend spring or Passover or Easter uh, or opening day of uh, the baseball season, but here we are. This is what we're doing, and we're doing it together. I just hope you're okay, your family's healthy, you're healthy, and uh, you're getting things done inside the house. Like, for example, clean up those uh, clothes over there. Fold those and put them away. Or the refrigerator, clean underneath it. It looks a little, I mean, from here, it looks a little bit uh, dusty. What about that bed? How come it isn't made? Get your, get your stuff off the table. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Uh, fan mail, let's do it. Dear Alex, in the cacophonous world of podcasts, this faithful listener is glad there is you. Oh, thank you. Given the current state of the world, coronavirus, the 2020 election cycle, Mandy Patinkin considering shaving his beard, uh, <laughs> I can't help but feel too musical. Is he going to do that? I can't help but feel two musical legends didn't get the farewell salute they so greatly deserved, Kenny Rogers and Bill Withers. That's true. What impact, if any, did either musician have on you? What do you think they will be remembered for, and what do you think they should be remembered for? Keep up the good work, and we'll keep tuning in. Best, Eddie from Dorset, Vermont. Uh, Eddie, wow, great letter. Thank you. Uh, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll answer the question by, by saying what impact uh, they had on me. How about that? Uh, it's a great question. And it's true, by the way, that during this quarantine, uh, life is moving, I don't know, it's quickly and it's moving slowly and then it's moving quickly again. And I think you're right, Eddie. Uh, amidst all of this chaos... We're not really getting to pay our respects to those who pass away during, I guess, what can only be described uh, as a tricky and troubling time. So, okay, uh, let me start with Bill Withers. Aside from being an unreasonably gifted writer, singer, and musician, um, Bill Withers taught me that you don't have to play anyone's game but your own. You make the rules, you make the decisions, and that way you always have control. And he sure had control. If you want to know what a sellout is, uh, it's the exact opposite of Bill Withers. He was a man of tremendous sensitivity, um, a man of tremendous grace, and he knew the world would try to take what it wanted from him and spit the rest out. And he had no interest in that at all. It's very scary in life to do the unpopular thing. But Bill Withers taught me that that's the thing you have to do if you want to stay true to who you are. Um, there's my freestyle, Eddie, on Bill Withers. All right, Kenny Rogers. Um, okay, Kenny Rogers. All right, the first song I ever slow danced to with a girl was in 1983, and it was to Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton's Islands in the Stream. Remember that one? Uh, and when I did, when I put my arms around that girl and we kind of swayed tentatively on the seventh grade dappled dance floor, uh, it taught me that as good as it felt, girls make me nervous. <laughs> but, you know, that was over 35 years ago, and I think things have changed. I'm much more confident, and I'm assured, and I'm established. And You know what, Eddie, who am I kidding? They still make me nervous. They, they make me probably more nervous now than ever before. So uh, that's what Kenny Rogers taught me. Uh, there you go. Great question, Eddie. Thank you for writing. For those of you who want to drop me a line, please do it. Editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out.
That is the music of Yumi Zuma, which features my guest today on the program, Christy Simpson. Let me tell you a little bit about Yumi Zuma and Christy Simpson. So years ago, I read this interview with the film director John Hughes, and he said something like, I mean, I don't remember it exactly, so bear with me, but he said something like, when you get older, your heart goes cold. Depressing, I know, but it is true, and I hate to admit it. And that's why when I make a list of my favorite albums or movies or books, very few of them were made in the last 20 years, which is a total bummer because it makes me wonder if my heart can't be set on fire like it used to. And that worries me because I don't want to have a cold heart. I don't want to be a get-off-my-lawn kind of guy shuffling around in a weird robe and playing old Nat King Cole albums. But then I see a movie like Jojo Rabbit or I read a book like Paul Murray's An Evening of Long Goodbyes, and just like that, They make the all-time list, and I'm relieved to find that I can be moved and I can be stirred the way I was when I was 16. It's a relief to know you can still be set on fire by great art. Well, Yumi Zuma are one of those bands that confirm this even further. I love this New Zealand outfit, and had I run into them when I was 16, I would feel the way I feel now. They're an exciting band from Christchurch. They've been around since about 2013, and they play a charming blend of dreamy alternative pop that's catchy and smart. Singer Christy Simpson joined The Fold in 2015 and took the lead on all three of their studio albums, including this year's fabulous entry, Truth and Consequences. What I love about Yumi Zuma is that their music flows freely, and it does so with a literate blend of lyrical invention and musical innovation. When I chatted with Christy, she was in London, I was in San Francisco, and the result? Well, you're about to hear it. This is me, and Christy Simpson having a chat right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. I should maybe put on a shirt like you know like something a little bit nicer than just like some gross old t-shirt and the leggings that I was just like sloughing about <laughs> in all day but I mean you have the then you have the feeling of wearing a nice shirt instead of the shirt you've been sleeping in for three days it's true I mean this this whole thing has really changed the way that we live and it's been very quick I mean I imagine for you as a musician uh, who tours, um, everything yeah. right now is a bit haywire. Uh, yeah, well, it, it, like you say, it, it happened really quick as well. We, so I recently, I'm, I'm from New Zealand, as you can probably tell, um, but recently moved to London just before we started our tour. Um, and we're, I was in London for a week. We were rehearsing here for a week before we were set to go to the US, which we did. We flew to the US thinking... Ah, South by Southwest is cancelled, but the rest of our tour will still be happening, surely. Um, But then we got there, we played one show, and then everything got cancelled. So it was all in the space of about three or four days that we, that it all changed, and then I had to just come back to London. But um, yeah, it's definitely been a really weird time for touring for bands, because there's so much uncertainty for when things will pick back up again. I think that's the scary thing. It's like so unprecedented. People don't know what to to expect in the next few months. I know, I know. Well, was there was there talk about having you guys not even go? Was there sort of, was that on the table? Um, when we left, when we were, just before we were leaving, I think it was Josh, my bandmate, he did start to get a little bit concerned that he... He thought there would probably be some sort of a snowball effect of South by Southwest is cancelled, so other things are going to get cancelled. Um, and he did, we did, he did kind of like look forward to see that it could be an option that everything could get cancelled. At what point, you know, do we call it? At what point do we just say no? You know, if we've only got half the shows on and some are still happening, do we still do them? You know, we kind of discussed that as like a worst case scenario, but I feel like we really didn't. 
at that point, everyone was still pretty hopeful and optimistic that things would kind of go on as normal. And then I think we flew, me and Olivia flew first from London to DC. Uh, and on the time that we were on that flight, that's when Trump had announced the travel ban. So we landed and heard about the travel ban. And then I think that's kind of what's kick-started a lot of these like shutdowns and, um, you know, like limits on numbers and places. And yeah, it's been a pretty, it was a pretty crazy 24 hours. I have to tell you. Yeah. I would imagine so. And where did your bandmates, how did they get back to where they needed to go? Um, well, we, so that was, um, I'm trying to remember what day that was or the month, but we, like, everything was still fairly open in terms of travel at that point. Um, we all just managed to get flights back to where we were going. Um, we are very lucky to possess a member of our band who is absolutely obsessed with air travel and airlines and and status and all that kind of stuff so he's kind of you know read all the forums and kind of game the system he's very lucky to be in that like you can ring a number and go straight to a person type situation with american airlines um so he meant to reschedule our flight uh we got basically it was just me and charlie going back to london josh the one i was just talking about he lives in new york so for him it was just a drive home and then Olivia our drummer she did have to fly all the way back to New Zealand so um yeah it was all okay she's been in in self-isolation since though like she's not allowed to see anyone or I mean New Zealand's on full shutdown now anyway but even before that there that was the that was the go for her so yeah and do you check in with her and and make and she seems like she's okay day to day yeah yeah she's fine she um I think you know, those first few days, I think after we had been flying and the airports were so dead and it was very weird, we were like all a little bit paranoid that we might have caught it. Um, at this stage, I think we are all pretty clear. Josh had a feeling he lost his sense of uh, like his taste and smell, Whoa. which apparently is a, can be a symptom. Um, so he was convinced that he just had a very mild case of the dreaded COVID-19, um, but the rest of us, we've been fine, thankfully. Um, yeah, but who knows, really? Like, I'm living in a, you know, in London, it's lockdown, but it's not um, it's not as strict as, like, in New Zealand. It's really strict at the moment. Um, I live in a flat with a bunch of other people here, and um, one of them is still going to work at the cafe. The cafe that she works at is still open. Wow. Um, and I mean, so there's always that risk and, you know, going to the grocery store and all that kind of thing, there's always that risk you could catch it. So, yeah. Who well, knows? did, did Josh's sense of uh, taste come back? Yeah. He says he's feeling fine now. So yeah, it didn't last long. Wow. Uh, you know, I'm in Berkeley, California, which is just outside of San Francisco and mm-hmm. everything's closed, Christy. Like you can't. You can't get anywhere. You, you can do like drive by stuff for restaurants. They'll bring it out to the curb. <laughs> they don't want you even in their restaurant, um, but they'll bring things out to you. But aside yeah. from that, I mean, everything is closed except for, you know, some grocery stores, obviously, and, and things like that. Um, so yeah. it's very strange. It's a very weird. I mean, it's such an uncertain time. And, and like I was telling you before, you know, it's like suddenly, you know, your band isn't playing suddenly for me as a teacher. I'm doing a virtual classroom. Suddenly, everything is sort of upended. Um, what has that done for your just sense of equilibrium about the world? I mean, how do you feel day to day? It's kind of strange because I think you do feel it can be hard to feel like it doesn't always feel real. It kind of feels surreal until, you know, like those moments when we were in the airport seeing nobody there that's when it feels strange. Like, it's quiet in London. Like, there's, you know, there's not many people out on the streets. There's not many cars driving around. But it still feels, I don't know, it's hard to for it, I think, to, to fully grasp what's what it actually means and what it means for, you know, like, just in my day-to-day life, I kind of feel like I'm going on somewhat as usual. I don't have, like, a job or anything that I'm doing at the moment because I've already just moved here. So, 
my days are kind of even if we weren't told to stay inside my days would kind of run similarly to what they're running anyway at the moment you know staying inside working on music doing yoga going out for a walk that's kind of what I would be doing anyway yeah I hear a lot of creative people and, and I'm a writer and so I have the same experience. I hear a lot of creative people saying, well, now I just have a name for what I've been doing for the last 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think um, it's a weird, yeah, it's weird timing for me because I think if it would, if I was still in New Zealand, I would have a job that I would need to be doing from home. Um, it would be, I feel like it's very strict there. Like there's no takeout. There's, it's very limited. They've made sure everybody stays in their house. Nobody's even allowed to drive anywhere that they're not meant to be driving. Um, yeah, I feel like the fact that I've just moved here and I'm still kind of establishing myself, it's kind of, it's kind of like I exist in this weird bubble of time where time doesn't exist. Kind of like that time between Christmas and New Year where it's just like, what is anything? What day of the week is it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's a thing elsewhere in the world, but in New Zealand, between Christmas and New Year, it's a ghost town. Like, there's nothing's open. Yeah. yeah it, open. So it's like that. It's very weird, but it's in such a, like, that's a celebratory holiday time. And this is like a, it feels the same, but there's kind of this, like, overarching sense of doom that you sort of don't always think about. It's not in the front of your mind, but mm, it's no, weird. No, not typically at Christmas time. There's no... no... <laughs> At Christmas time, there's no no pandemic doomsday fears, typically. <laughs> yeah. Depending on how much you get along with your family, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, God, you're right. It's that it's that sort of nether time between uh, Christmas and New Year's where it just feels like you don't know what date it is. You don't know what's going on. And it's just sort of like this kind of blissful, calendarless space. Mm. Yeah. This, unusual. this is not are you uh at all a hypochondriac do you worry like oh i seem to have developed a dry cough but are you like that or not at all i feel like um i feel like i know hypochondriacs so i know that i'm not one <laughs> um, <laughs> i feel like i'm relatively chill about things like that um yeah i haven't been overly paranoid i feel like i'm lucky too that i'm living in like the people that I'm living with here are very much even keeping calm, keeping positive. There's not too much like I'm trying not to just like look at all the news and look at the you know what I don't want to just like instill that fear and anxiety in myself any more than I need to or have already. So I don't know, I feel like I'm I'm not I feel like I'm probably almost more chill about it than I should be, if anything. Which maybe that's not a good thing either. I'm not sure. <laughs> I think it's a very good thing because it'll it'll keep you calm. Yeah, I think. I mean, I've kind of, and I think we all kind of resigned ourselves to this. Uh, you know, kind of discussed it as a band collectively when we were in DC and we were like, we've been traveling. There is a risk. We're all in. You know, we all live in pretty big cities anyway. So uh, we kind of resigned ourselves to like there is a chance that we'll catch it and we just have to hope for the best and you know we're lucky that we are young and that the the death rate does seem to be lower in young people yeah so, yeah i think it's one of those things that if you worry about it too much the worrying doesn't like the worry doesn't serve you the worry doesn't help in any way um and that's all very well to just say that but i've kind of found that way of thinking about it to be you know that's given me a sense of peace is like it could happen and if it does we'll cross that bridge when we come to it like there's no point worrying about that possibility right now it's better just to focus on staying healthy and keeping away from other people so well how did the show go? how did the, sh the single show go well it was actually it was really fun um we yeah so we got to play one show in london before we flew to dc so it was technically the second show but um it was both those shows were so much fun like it was we still had an amazing turnout in dc even though that's that was the point where especially in the u.s a lot of people were starting to 
you know, choose to stay home and, um, you know, shelter in place. Um, yeah, we still had so many people show up. We were really scared nobody would show up and that it would be a bomb and that we would just, like, go home sad and, like, you know. But it was like going out with a bang, I think, because we knew this was going to be the last show we would play for a while. And I think everybody in attendance kind of knew that that might be the last show they were going to get to go to for a while. I think everyone just really got on board with the energy. So it was really fun. Um, I Somebody said last night, we did a live stream on our label Polyvinyl's Instagram page last night, just like a hangout, chat, ask us questions type situation. Um, and somebody said I was at that show in DC and it felt like New Year's. And I felt like that was the most apt description because that was it. It was like, let's just, you know, give it one last shot, kind of a little bit looser than maybe we normally would have been, but still <laughs> giving it our all. I feel like loose, but not in the sense that we were sloppy, more like, you know, just a little bit more relaxed, a little bit sillier maybe. And yeah, we had a really fun time. So. We were really grateful that we got to kind of, at least we got to play one show, you know. There are so many people who would have been so looking forward and preparing for these tours that they had coming up. Like, it's such a time of year for album releases and all that kind of thing. And, yeah, we just count ourselves lucky we got to at least play a couple of shows while things were still relatively safe. Also, as far as we know. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody caught it from any of our shows, so... Yeah. Well, the idea of I know some people have postponed the releases of their albums. That was never an issue for you guys. You were going to stick to the release schedule. Well, we so our album came out the thirteenth of March. Right. Uh, which was the day? Yeah. So that was like the day. Uh, we played the DC show on the twelfth, the day before. Um, I think our album was. We like we were lucky that it came out when it did. I think if it had come out any later, and like you say, a lot of people have been postponing their album releases for that reason. I feel like it would have just been drowned out amongst the noise of everything else going on. But for some reason, it coming out when it did, it seems like it, I think people have been actually really enjoying a bit of a respite from, you know, just the seeing this. Like, a respite both, like, audio respite, like, you can listen to it and enjoy it, but also, like, people are enjoying just, like, seeing us talking about the album and, you know, seeing something in their feed that isn't about COVID-19, which I think at this point is, you know, that's the kind of thing that hopefully will continue if people, you know, continuing to kind of look for and seek out that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I feel like if you if the album was the release date was the twentieth, I feel like that it was would have been in danger to be, you know, moved back. Yeah, well, I think yeah, it's weird, and like that goes back to what you said right at the start is that how quickly everything changed, everything moved, everything, um, you know, like regulations were set in place, and how quickly it went from being like something low key to. Um, you know, something completely taking over everything, so... Right, right. Yeah, I think we have been really lucky, though. We're very, um... I feel like we are lucky as well in the sense that our fan base has always been quite an internet-based fan base. Like, we are a band kind of not really from one place. Like, we aren't really from New Zealand and we aren't really from the US either or from the UK like we were all New Zealanders but this band started when we were all living separately so uh, and, and before you know we did any live shows it was online like digital releases and back in the day when I guess blogs were a bit more prevalent like in 2014 I think that was when the first kind of our first stuff came out so I feel like we are lucky to have like a fan base that is mu a very much an internet-based fan base. Um, that kind of... I feel like if you're the kind of band that needs live shows and a band that people die to see live, which I hope people would say that about us anyway, it would probably be a little bit tougher in this kind of time. But, yeah, I hope that that's done us some good. I'd say it would have. 
Well, you know, like I was telling you, I'm from here. I'm from you know mm-hmm. uh, Marin County originally, so I'm a Northern California guy here in the Bay Area. And mm-hmm. my perception of New Zealand, all my knowledge of geography comes through my, the bands that I loved growing up. Um, you know, so if someone says Leeds, I would think the wedding present. You know, that's just how I think. Manchester, the Stone Roses. Um, and that's how I put together the map of the world. So for, for New Zealand, I grew up um, at 16 and 17 listening to bands like the Chills and the Verlaines and, um, you know, all these sort of – for that for all intents and purposes obscure bands in the US that were that were from these um these cities in uh New Zealand. Uh Dunedin I think is the name of the town, right? Um Dunedin, yeah. right. And so I'm wondering for you uh so my my, my perception of New Zealand was that it was small and intimate and everyone seemed uh, you know, quite friendly and happy. It was a very, you know, it was a good, it was a great sound and a great feel that was coming. But what were you listening to growing up? What was informing your sonic sensibility? Um, well, I'd say, I think that's the thing is in New Zealand, there, although there is some pretty amazing music in New Zealand from New Zealand, we had we have such that culture when you're a small nation where everything comes from the outside. Like we had so much, you know. There's only so many people in New Zealand. The radio can't be all New Zealanders, if that makes sense. So, a lot of outside influences for me personally. Um, I growing up, that's I think that's the thing is that's like, do we go childhood here? Because if it's that, it's probably like. Avril Lavigne and Hilary Duff were like my queens as a child. So both American pop styles. Oh, actually, Avril Lavigne's Canadian, isn't right. she? Um, and then I think kind of through my like more formative teenage years, I um, I was really into Regina Spector. Um, I had a real obsession with this band Doctor Dog for a while. Sure. Um, I was a huge like in my you know, classic 13-year-old days, I was really obsessed with Panic! at the Disco. That was probably where, like, true music obsession started for me. Um, and then I think the the main overarching one for me has always been Fleetwood Mac. I think when I was about 15, I kind of rediscovered Fleetwood Mac as a, like, oh, this is familiar because I've heard this, you know, play, like, my parents have played this or it's been playing on the radio. Um and then kind of, I don't know, I suppose all of those were at different stages, but then Fleetwood Mac's been the one that's kind of continued to the present day. That's kind of the one that's lasted the longest. So, yeah, I think, um, I think though, to say more for the New Zealand music scene, that's been more of an influence on me in maybe the last, like, five or six years, I would say. Like, that time has been quite formative for me as a songwriter whilst I've been in New Mizuma. Um, and just also because there's so much good music coming out of New Zealand at the moment, kind of with, you know, the advent of Spotify, there's been a lot more option for people to do stuff that takes them a little bit further out of just the New Zealand, um, you know, circles. It can be quite hard, and that was that's kind of traditionally been an issue as well. And it was probably quite an issue for even bands like the chills and stuff back in the day. It's, you know, it can be quite hard to get your music heard outside of New Zealand. You can be the biggest band in New Zealand and no one in America heard of you. So um, it's kind of a, I mean, I suppose that's the same for pretty much any small nation, but it is an unusual thing. Are you uh, a fan of the chills? Mm. Yeah, I just made a playlist the other day, actually, and I think I put some some chills on there. Um, I know that Josh uh, Josh is. He's a huge Flying Nun fan. He um, actually worked for them for a while. Um, for the last, for actually for yeah, well, basically most of his time while he's been doing Yumi Zuma, that was what he was doing on the side was um, working for Flying Nun in the US on the re-releasing. Um, of some of those classic albums and also working on new albums too. So we're pretty strongly tied to Flying Nun as a band, I would say. Um, but yeah, some pretty amazing 
it's pretty amazing to think of what they were doing, like the music that they were, the style they had, what they were working on back then, how much of an influence that had to kind of this present day time. Yeah, and it's it's really timeless. Like I love, like I listen to the Verlaines or the Chills, and it doesn't sound dated to me at all. They they were really doing something really interesting. I think yeah, I think that's what's so cool about it, right? Is it's like you don't think, oh, that's from the eighties, you know? Right? No, not, not at all. Like. I, and I love music sometimes that is like, oh, that is so eighties. I love that, but it is kind of nice when you hear something that feels timeless like that as well. I was embarrassed. perception of New Zealand as being I, I, here's what I figured I figured everyone knows each other because years ago maybe about 10 years ago I was at a show and I met a girl and she was from New Zealand and she was only here for two weeks and, and so I dated her for two weeks and wow. then and she went back and, and that was that and then about 10 years later I was working with a band called Golden Curtain and they're a New Zealand band and it's the drummer from Garage Land and the singer from Grand Prix. Anyway, and I was talking, I was writing the lyrics for their album, and I was talking to the singer of of uh, Golden Curtain, and I said, "Oh, uh, I knew I met this girl years ago, and I and I named I named her for some strange reason." He said, "Oh, I know her." <laughs> and it really? turned it turned out he had dated her, and I thought, "Boy, New oh, Zealand's I, small. How is that, that possible?" <laughs> that is classic. 
that's definitely the problem in New Zealand. It's like there's only a certain amount of time, especially if you don't don't move cities. Um, there's only a certain number of people that you're gonna want to date, and after a while, you just you can't go anywhere without seeing someone you've dated or you know someone maybe you've just slept with once or then there's the added problem of like somebody else thinks that's a good idea too because you know there's only a certain number of people in the potential <laughs> pool with similar interests so then you end up just dating people that your friends have dated and yeah it's like it's actually kind of fun like there's kind of this element of you know it is a nice thing to know that you can go somewhere and you'll see people that you know um I personally love that I think just because I'm quite a uh, I know people who hate that about New Zealand, that they hate that you can't walk down K Road in Auckland without seeing all these people and you can't be bothered talking to them. I'm, I feel like I'm almost the opposite. I'm just like, yes, I'll have as many friends as possible. Let's go out. Let's see, <laughs> let's see who's about. But yeah, there does come a time when you kind of need to spread your wings a little bit and make some new friends and kind of leave your bubble. Yes. At some point. Obviously not leaving any bubbles right now, but um, that, yeah, I left my bubble shortly before all of our bubbles got contained within our household. So, yeah, <laughs> you you debubbled and went to London, which is such a cool move. Yeah, except my bubble here consists of um, five other people from Christchurch. So all New Zealanders, <laughs> <laughs> which is classic. That's funny. Oh, I just remembered the town she was from, uh, Palmerston North. Does that sound familiar? Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's where Josh is from. Oh, that's, see? That's Josh is from. Yeah, so there you go. Betty, jo- I bet. <laughs> I'll bet you. Maybe Josh dated this girl, too. Uh, you, yeah, I mean, you just never know. It really <laughs> is like that. Like, we have, um, yeah, we have people ask us all the time, oh, do you know so-and-so from, uh, this is a New Zealander I know, and they're like, yeah. <laughs> especially if it's from any music scene in New Zealand it's a small scene and everyone is pretty friendly like it's not a very hostile place in that sense which is nice um, so you do kind of just get to know everybody in that scene to some extent did you feel growing up did you feel like an outsider ever or did you feel because you're a creative person did you feel because um, it's very easy in a place with a large population like here in California where a lot of creative people are – they all have this sort of common experience of having been – sort of feeling like an outsider. You know, yeah. I wasn't a cheerleader. I didn't play on the football team. I made music with my friends at lunch in that room. Um, did you feel that way or did you feel creatively that you were also accepted on a larger level? Um, no, I think I definitely felt like that for, I feel like I still kind of feel like that sometimes, you know, I still have moments where I'm like, you know, even sometimes if I'm out for a run, I'm like, oh, am I a person who goes for a run? You know, <laughs> like <laughs> it kind of takes me back to that. It's that thing, the story that you tell yourself when you're a kid and you're like, oh, I'm not good at sports. And, you know, yeah. In New Zealand, it's the it's the same. It's like. Okay, so all the boys play rugby, and then all the girls play netball, um, and yeah, everyone goes. You know, you it's very it can be very homogenous. Um, I yeah, I definitely for a long time felt that kind of like oh, I'm the weird kid who kind of wants to stay inside and like play not play by myself because I feel like I was always pretty like open to having friends, but. Um, yeah, I definitely wasn't ever cut out to be in that kind of like a square, you know, I was always a square peg in a round hole type situation. So, um, I was pretty lucky though, that my parents kind of saw that pretty early on. And I went to a high school in Christchurch. That's quite, uh, it was quite a, um, controversial and like quite new thing at the time. Um, and Basically, it was an alternative school. It just meant that it, we still followed the curriculum, but the rules were different, and you could kind of choose your own path more with what you were studying. So I very quickly 
just went straight to doing a lot of like art subjects and English I really focused on and um, and music of course so that helped me I think because there were a lot of other kids at that school who were in that same boat and it was very much a place of it wasn't a private school it was a public school it was all like everything was on equal terms you know people from all around Christchurch all the different socioeconomic areas um, and there was such a sense of you can make your own path here and you it's all about you putting in the work and you motivating yourself to get shit done because you like your teachers as well which was lovely because a lot of them I did really love and also they were some there were some very cool teachers there who introduced me to a lot of very cool music like I definitely have Frances to thank she was my teacher through a lot of um I think yeah through most of my years there and she introduced me to like bright eyes and war paint and so it was a really that was the kind of place where I think I stopped feeling like an outsider and I started to feel like I was an individual amongst other individuals so yeah I love that I love the you're the first person to say it that way that I've chatted with and um, I love what you just said how an outsider transitions to an individual that's beautiful I, I love that Thank you. Yeah, so I feel like, and because it, it's still kind of, um, I don't know, that feeling does still kind of permeate, I think, even in your adulthood, because especially in New Zealand, it can be very much a, um, you know, I feel like we have a lot of very, especially I think Christchurch is very, um, it's quite conservative, not in the sense of, you know, just politically, but, you know, it's sort of the the story of, oh, what school did you go to? It's quite like that English thing of, um, you know, if you went to a good school and then, you know, and you're doing the right job and you're, yeah. But then that is all that's really expected of you, you know. I think that I've never been the kind of person who ticks those those normal boxes in any sense. So, yeah. But I have, I feel like I could go on about this forever because there's, yeah, there's, <laughs> I think recently someone asked the cringe like, what was your, your cringe story from, you know, when you were trying – a time you were trying to fit in, but you didn't fit in? Right. Yeah. I was just lucky, I think, that I did get to go to um, Unlimited when I did. That was the name of the school. And that, that kind of saved me. I kind of wish every – you know, I wish there were more schools like that, that every creative person – like myself could go to because honestly I think at a normal school you end up just having kids with who don't want to behave and they don't perform and then they might just not you know not ever pursue anything that they might be good at so that's what I that's what I worry is happening you know well and I think that is what's happening and I love I want to sort of give your parents the credit they deserve because they recognize that you the path that was best for you was to go to that school. Um, yeah. That's pretty perceptive parenting. Yeah. Shout out to mum and dad. They're, um, they are incredibly good parents, but I think they also did have a sense for, um, you know, that our daughter's a wee bit weird and they could see, I think, you know, I just was, was an inside kid and I liked playing the Sims and then I started playing piano and, you know, I always really liked music making up dances with my sister as a kid. I think they could see that if they see me to a normal school, it would just result in me becoming, like, a less of, less of a person, you know, by having to flatten that side of myself that was a little bit more strange or um, eccentric or, you know, like, I think that's the definitely the culture in New Zealand as well. We have this, you know, tall poppy syndrome where, you don't want anyone to be too showy or too like extra in any way. They've just got to be normal and chill and just like every other New Zealander, because if they start showing off with it, it's, it's like that ego thing that, you know, they want to be cut down. So. Yeah. And it, it also makes me think that your parents must have probably experienced that themselves on, on some level to be able to recognize that in you. I, yeah, I would say so. I think that, um, yeah, I think they grew up kind of in that generation, you know, like they're both born in the early 60s and, 
they they both grew up in a small town um, called Oamaru. It's like a, a basically a farming area. Like they both grew up on farms in the countryside. They didn't live in the actual town, but um, you know, in living a pretty humble country. But they also have done a lot of traveling. My dad was a sheep shearer, so they kind of got out and saw the world. And I feel like that probably gave them a bit more of a, maybe just a little bit more of a perception of, here's here's an alternative to that boring cut and dried life. We want to travel the world and keep working and do this fun stuff. And I think that that kind of, yeah, maybe that's what set them up to kind of see in me that I could live you know, that I would be someone who isn't going to just live that normal cut and dry living. <laughs> right. And, so nine to five job. and for university, what, what choices did you make? Um, I actually went and studied graphic design um, out of high school because I, I could see uh, that I, I knew some other people who had gone and studied music um, in Christchurch and I was a little bit worried that if I were to go and study that it would ruin the fun for me. Like I think at that point I knew that I didn't want to make that into a career, at, which is funny because here I am. Right. Um, but I think that I knew that if I was going to do it, I wanted to always do it on my own terms. Um, and the, the yeah the problem with going to jazz school was it was very much like you had to know all the theory and you had to be able to read music and I couldn't read music I only learned by ear um so it was like just for me I knew that I wanted to pursue something in study that I knew I could really get passionate about but in a more like that would suit my brain I think (laughs) I think um studying music might have just taken it out of me but then since then I have like made friends with a lot of people who did go to jazz school and are amazing musicians and they're all they all play together in bands and it seems like the most fun community of people who all completely know what they're doing and I kind of I still have that little bit of FOMO of what might have happened if I had gone and just fully committed myself to music so yeah, never know. Maybe one day I'll study it. <laughs> I think you are studying it. You're studying it out in the real world. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, I um, it would be really nice to play instruments more, but um, I'm pretty lucky that I have the instrument that require. You know, I've done some vocal training when I was in high school, and I do a little bit here and there now, but. You know, I don't. I'm not the kind of musician who needs to practice a million hours every year just to get better. You know, like you don't have to sing over and over and over to get really good at it, like you do with like learning guitar or learning bass or whatever. So, yeah. Well, so much has happened to the band in, in a in such a short time, um, mm. including personnel changes. Are those are those tough to? handle I mean it must be kind of a bummer to lose a member you know for whatever reason that must be kind of a kind of a bummer mm. to have someone go yeah well we I feel like when Sam so we Sam was probably the that that was a bit of a bummer but I think at that point we knew that he was ready to kind of do something on his own and we knew that we would be you know we knew that we could do it without him it wasn't like he was cutting off a limb um but that being said, it's it's definitely not the same without him. But he he really wanted to go and spend more time and dedicate more to his own um, projects. And that, you know, that for him, he didn't actually start as a core member of Yumizuma um, when Josh and Charlie, you know, started out. So I think that it, for him, it wasn't a total, like, passion project. I think he still gave it everything he got like he um yeah he worked so hard for us for so long and we had so much fun on tour with him but I think it was just kind of that point where he was like guys I've been doing this for a while and I'm kind of ready to just do my own thing now and we were like that's fair enough Sam we kind of knew this would come at some point and like that 
all we can say is like thank you for all the shit you've done for us you know so far because the yeah he's kind of like a musical genius sam so he can just like remember how to play anything i think that's the biggest thing missing and doesn't really affect me too much but charlie and josh struggle so much more now to remember um you know like what riffs they were meant to be playing or like you know if we haven't practiced for a while and then we come back to practice or we come to like learn relearn a song that we used to play or something and it's like damn it sam would have known that (laughs) (laughs) well Um, i imagine you guys are still in touch with sam yeah yeah it was his birthday just the other day actually um yeah he actually moved to serbia so him and his bandmates um his band is called dog power by the way they're very good you should have a listen um quite different to yumi zuma so i don't like like very cool very like goth and moody and um i don't even know i wouldn't even know how to put it into words i usually have something to describe it but um they decided they wanted to pick up and move to serbia um because they just wanted to be in europe somewhere and they had some friends living in belgrade and apparently it's very cheap in serbia so they managed to like buy a house and the living you can live on basically nothing there so it's so much better than trying to exist as a musician in new in new zealand without you know having to work all the time so yeah i think that's the main reasoning but we keep in touch with him um i feel i feel like now is the best time to like catch up with all those people that you don't normally get a get a chance to actually like you know facetime like talk to and see them so maybe i'll call soon and for the band, when you guys are not in the same place, do you do you rehearse virtually? Mm-mm. No, we no. It's it just really wouldn't work for us because of the way our setup is. Um, we, I mean, I think we all individually rehearse our parts that we know we're going to be playing. So for me, I just like put the album on and I sing it <laughs> or whatever. Um, but we always just gotten together and rehearsed for one or two weeks before the tour and so if there's any new songs we'll play them um we'll, sorry we'll learn them and we'll play all the old ones that we used to know practice them um yeah it's i think for us trying to rehearse when we're not together there's just too much going on in terms of We've got backing tracks. We've got sample things going on. Somebody has the gear in one, you know, like I have the gear right now to play the backing tracks and all the sampler keyboards. So it's like different bits of gear live with different people at different times as well. So just, yeah, it would just be too messy. What is your, your daily, um, creative life like in other words and also what is your your discipline are you working on singing every day are you always writing lyrics are you are you disciplined do you do stuff every day this is like nine questions christy um but what is what does a daily day look like for you creatively in terms of the band you know what it's um i'm actually figuring that out because this is the first time these last three weeks this is the first time that I have not had a day job or not been like actively on tour or actively with the band working on music for the first time in a like since I was maybe 20 so maybe first yeah first time in five years that I haven't like had a job so I'm still kind of trying to find what that flow is, to be honest. I think it's such a weird time to try and start that too, given that, um, you know, we kind of got this, like there's this feeling when something like this is going on with the shutdown and everything, you kind of just want to end up, you know, staying in bed and reading books. And I've been getting really into playing Animal Crossing on my Nintendo, or on Charlie's Nintendo Switch. Um, so I think that that's... That, <laughs> ABC at this point I think it'll probably hit a point maybe in a you know another week or so where I really have to find some serious structure in my day um I've only just bought like I had a USB interface show up the other day um so that I could work on music that I could you plug in my microphone work on some stuff so 
Um, we've we've basically only really just gotten our like game plan together for what we're doing as a band for the next little while and what music we're going to be working on and that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I think for me, I've never really been like a um, like or maybe when I was you know a teenager, but I feel like for a long time I haven't been a doing it every day type of person it's more especially with the structure of Yumizuma the way that we the way that we have these concentrated bursts of activity of we get together we rehearse it's like this dedicated time we get together we intensively rehearse then we go play the shows on the tour then maybe after that we'll be working on you know working on music together but it's always this dedicated time where we just get in the studio and we just do stuff that way um otherwise it's like charlie will send me a track it and and i'll get it in the morning and then i'll record some like you know voice memo singing ideas over it like just something random like that or like josh will send something through and um yeah it's kind of like a there's never been a like we're doing we're having band practice every week and we're playing a gig once a month and you know it's always like all over the show but i think that's where i'm you know, I'm lucky to be in the position I am currently where I can actually find a bit of a rhythm for once. It'll be really nice. Do you think ahead in terms of here's the 10-year plan for the band, here's the five-year plan, or do you just go with it? Um, I think that I've always been pretty blessed um, in the fact that I'm not the top, at the top tier in terms of, you know, decision-making organization or anything like that. Um, and so, you know, kind of when, in saying that I, um, I'm not usually the one having to worry about that stuff so much. I feel like I, especially in the past, I've been the one to kind of just be like, I'm just chilling. You guys let me know what you need me for and when and what the plan looks like for this year. And then we'll make it work and we'll do it. Um, but I think the last six months or in the last year or so, I've become a lot more involved with, you know, the conversations of what we're going to be, what we're looking for and, you know, what things are good. What, what do we want to see in the next few years? I think, um, yeah, at this moment is so everything's so uncertain again. I think what we were kind of hoping is when this album comes out, then we kind of have this, you know, a bit of a trajectory especially because there's a new label that we're releasing on feels a little bit bigger this time. We've got a little bit more marketing going on, you know, stuff like that. So, um, I think, you know, we were, we were, this was going to be the period of let's see how this goes. And this might tell us what, what we can expect in the next year or, and then beyond that, I feel like it's quite hard when you're in this kind of mid range, this, you know, the kind of, in between level of success that we've found, we've been really lucky to find, you know, like we've got good streaming numbers and we've got some really good, like some very dedicated fans who are, you know, so like, it's such a nice community that we have. Um, but it's so hard to know if that's ever going to expand or if we, you know, keep building with a slow growth kind of as we have, it's kind of one of those impossible to predict things, you know, it's like, can you try and make something go viral? It doesn't really work like that. <laughs> right. Right. No, it doesn't. I mean, mm. are you an optimistic person? Mm. I think I am. I'm quite like naturally, I'm naturally very positive. I think like, especially when people around me are going, Oh, it's going to be terrible. We're going to, you know, the band's going to end our careers over. Like I'm always wondering like, nah, it'll be fine. Like we'll, we'll just wait and see. I feel like we'll be sweet. I'm always looking on the bright side of things. Um, but that being said, I've never been overly, um, I've always been quite realistic about what I've expected out of my, you know, about my future and my trajectory within the band or just with anything else. I've kind of never been like, I need to be at this point in two years um, and otherwise I'll be devastated. <laughs> it's kind of more of a like, I'm pretty happy. I'm very lucky and pretty happy to be in the position 
that I'm currently in with the band and just with, you know, my life in general. So if, if it can continue like this, then that's fabulous. Um, if it gets better, if we get more success and, you know, we can start to survive off just band income, then that's going to be even more exciting. So I feel like I'm always the one just, just kind of keeping everybody like, it's okay, guys, we can get through this. We're going to be just fine you know and like to look on look at what is good about what we have and look on the bright side of things you know <laughs> well listen you stay safe in your in your london bubble okay thank you you too alex <laughs> oh, and listen thank you so much for for talking with me i really enjoyed this conversation well, thank you for having me it's been lovely Ah, Christy Simpson of Yumi Zuma. Come on. How much do you love her? Uh, Yumi Zuma proving that my heart is not cold and I'm still capable of, uh, I don't want to get too clinical here, but of feeling things. Yumi Zuma's new album, Truth or Consequences, is out now. Go buy it. It's uh, it's one of the best of the year. Go to their website, yumizuma.com, and... Uh, Hook yourself up. Let me spell it for you. It's a weird It's a weird name. I want to make sure you go to the right place. Yumizuma, Y-U-M-I-Z-O-U-M-A dot com. <laughs> Why did I make that sound like I'm in a spelling bee? Uh, Yumizuma, can you please use it in a sentence? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Yumizuma are super awesome. Okay. Uh, Y-U-M-I-Z-O-U-M-A. That is correct. You win a million dollars and you're really handsome. Ah, that's a great spelling bee. Thank you. <laughs> uh, anyway, listen, there's Yumi Zuma's uh, website information. Mine is not as tricky with the spelling. Uh, AlexGreenOnline.com. Go there. Uh, news is uh, going to be coming in very soon in spite of the sheltering in place and uh, global pandemic. I'm still managing to carve out uh, some current events in my artistic life. So do drop in and see what's going on there. And if you forget... Don't worry, I'll be talking about it nonstop. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Please subscribe. Please tell your friends. Please have them uh, and yourself uh, give us a rating, a nice comment. You know how it works. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Embers Editor or follow me on Instagram at Embers Podcast or email me editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Let's close the show with another new song from Yumizuma. This is Truer Than Ever. Thank you, as always, for listening, and I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio. Working hard